Shall we pray as we just look at God's word together? Father, I thank you that we can come and worship you, and the Lord, we can be in your presence. And Lord, we do thank you for your hand on this church and our lives. And Lord, there are moments where we're not sure what's going on, and we question, Lord, even question you sometimes. But Father, we always come back to that, that lovely little quote, God is good all the time. And Lord, we thank you for that goodness that we can always trust. And Lord, for any here this morning who wonder what the plan is, that Lord, they would hear that and trust in you all the time, knowing that you're always good. Father God, I just pray now as we look at your word together, you would just use these words for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, um, let me tell you about a, a minister that started in a church in Oklahoma. Hang on. That's my seamless link to my other bit of paper. So there's a new pastor that started a small church in Oklahoma town. Um, He spent his first four days uh, at this new church making personal visits to every single member, inviting them to come to his very first service. He got himself prepared, and the following Sunday, to his horror, the church was all but empty. Accordingly, the pastor placed a notice in the local newspaper stating that because the church was dead, it was everybody's duty to give it a decent Christian burial. The funeral will be held the following Sunday afternoon, the notice said. Morbidly curious, a large crowd turned out for the funeral. In front of the pulpit, they saw a closed coffin smothered in flowers. After the pastor delivered the eulogy, he opened the coffin and invited his congregation to come forward and pay their final respects to their dead church. Filled with curiosity as to what would represent the corpse of a dead church, all the people eagerly lined up to look in the coffin. Each mourner peered into the coffin, then quickly turned away with a guilty, sheepish look. In the coffin, tilted at just the right angle, was a large mirror. I suspect that a dead church breaks the heart of our God. Certainly breaks mine. It's an awful thing when you hear a church that closes, when churches are dying. We talk of dying churches all the time, don't we? That one's dying, that one's had it. The church in the UK is finished. But Sobridgeworth Evangelical Congregational Church, S-E-C-C for short if you're not sure. Um, I'm done saying the whole name, it takes far too long. I've only got, I've only got another 40 odd years left um, of my life. But S-E-C-C is not dead. It's not perfect. We should probably clap that as well. (laughs) We're certainly not perfect. In fact, we all know the areas where we could be more of what Jesus wants us to be. We spoke at a leadership meeting on Friday about the fragrance of God. And I know it came up at our women's conference as well just a few weeks ago. We want to be more fragrant for Jesus Christ in this town. But I remember just over nine years ago when we first came to this church from South London. I'm from Essex originally, in case you're confused. I'm from Essex, not South London. It's um, very important. Uh, but I remember looking, standing just at Spring Hill Road. We parked our car and we were walking up, I think, one of our first services. And I remember thinking very clearly that God had a plan I may cry, um, that God had a plan for this church. And I believed in my heart that God had a purpose um, for this church, not us, but for the church we were about to join. And I've always felt that God would move in the life of this church and he would use this building and the people in it for his purposes in Sawbridgeworth, but not just Sawbridgeworth. It gets bigger and bigger, the towns around Sawbridgeworth, and maybe even bigger still. In fact, I believe that our best days lie ahead as a church. I do not believe that this is it. 
Um, if this is it, then we have failed already. I believe that our best days are yet to come as the Church of Jesus in Sawbridgeworth. Um, the only question this morning is, are we worthy of those best days yet to come? Are we worthy as God's people for all that he wants desperately to do, I believe, in this church and in this town? Sawbridgeworth, SECC, is alive. Um, I would love to have called up all the people that represent, I think we had almost everything re- represented by a bit of A4. Um, I would love to have called every single person up and just say, tell us one amazing thing that happens in the area of service in this church because there are so many great stories that we don't get to tell as often I'd lo- like to of things that happen at Zone, at Haley, at Highfields, make lunch, open door to name just a very select few. We think of all the things this church does and I thank God for every single thing. There is so much that we do that affects people's lives directly and then indirectly. And so many of us that serve in those areas are privileged to see the hand of God working. We are not perfect, but we are not dead. And in fact, we sit upon a rich history in this church. This church has been a church here for 200 years. This building is 150 years old. Don't touch the walls in case it falls down. Well, actually, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, there are no foundations here, by the way, uh, in this church. So uh, this is why we can't be too excited on a Sunday morning. That's why we keep ourselves quite, quite calm. Uh, because if we dance too much, the whole thing might slide down the hill uh, in somewhere at the bottom over there. Um, but we've got no foundations except those of Jesus Christ. This church is built on a rich history of men and women who have served the King of Kings faithfully, preaching the gospel, reaching out in love to the surrounding towns and villages and our town, Sorbridgeworth, teaching his word, making sure people know about their faith, and we continue after them. And I often uh, am quite challenged Uh, by my brothers and sisters who are no longer with us, although I've never met them. I'm often quite challenged because I think we stand as the next segment of history of this place, uh, this part of God's kingdom. And I often am thankful for those who have gone before. I'm thankful for everyone who has served in this church. And I know that I look back sometimes and I think, thank you, God, that they made that decision. Thank you, Lord, they built that building next door. Thank you, God, that they built the kitchen and the toilets. Thank you, God, that they bought all the land around us. Thank you, God, for the decisions they made theologically, for the things they've talked about and put down, and that we still carry on today as a church. And I'm quite challenged because I think of those who are coming because the church, hopefully, will not end with us. There is another generation that will come when we're all gone. And I want it to be that they look back to us and say, thank God, thank you, God, that they made the decisions they made. Thank you, God, they built that building. They knocked that one down. Thank you, God, they employed those people. Thank you, God, they did that thing in Sawbridgeworth. They made that decision. They took that stand. We live in very unusual times, ethically and morally. Everything is fluid. Even gender is fluid these days. And I wonder, what will the next generation say about us? Will they thank God that we stood firm on the ethics of the kingdom of God? Will they thank God that we stood firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ? That there is only one way to God. Only through Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. There is no back door into the kingdom of God. There is no back door into heaven. Only being cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Will they say thank God they didn't cave when culture said be bland? Will they thank us or thank God for us because we never went back on the only truth that can save a human soul? Or will they say in 50 years' time, shame they lack the faith to be dangerous for the king?
I just wanted to share a few thoughts um, from Matthew 4 um, this morning. I'm strangely emotional, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not one to... Uh, anyway, we'll move on. Otherwise, I might get emotional. Anyway, so Matthew chapter 4, if you've got it open, that'd be great. Um, verses 18 to 20. Uh, it's Jesus calling his first disciples, and I just wanted to share a few things uh, with you from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. Uh, hopefully it should appear behind me, but I'll just read it to you. It says, Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. So, I'm sorry, I've stopped. Sorry, I went too far. Um, yeah, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. But he calls them. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is quite a familiar part of the Bible. We all know this bit. Uh, it's where the phrase, fishers of men, come from. Uh, but it's quite an amazing moment. You imagine what it must have been like for Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They're working away, and this man, who yet somehow is more than a man, comes up to them and says, come, follow me. I wonder what made them put their nets down and give up their livelihood. They've been expecting a Messiah every Jew had. They were followers of John the Baptist. They were his disciples. So they knew Jesus was coming. They may even have seen him at some point. And here he stands on that shoreline, and they drop everything. They drop their livelihood to take up the call to follow Jesus Christ. And today, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior and King, still stands on the shoreline of our lives and says, come, follow me. And it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We think it might be easy, but it is not easy. It is not bland. It is, in fact, quite scary. It is quite dangerous. But it is amazing and exciting to stand with the one who defeated death and be his friend, his brother or sister. And today, uh, will you and I offer our lives to Jesus Christ, perhaps for the first time, but maybe again in a fresh way, saying, here I am, to quote Isaiah, send me. I wonder when the last time you prayed that prayer, here I am, Jesus, send me. Pray it regularly if you mean it. There are a couple of uh, interesting things um, from this verse. But, so these two, Peter and John, um, Peter and Andrew even, um, are brothers, but they're disciples of John, as I say. And if you think about John the Baptist, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was a, an incredible guy. He was extremely well-known. He was powerful. He was wise. The whole of Jerusalem would go out just to hear him preach, to be baptized by him. So he was a seriously well-known figure. And so perhaps as Jesus stood on that shoreline, I'm using my sort of artistic license a bit, perhaps they could have settled. You know, I'm working hard, life's good. John's a nice guy. Do I want to give it all up and follow this carpenter from Nazareth who I've never, ever met before, who I know nothing about, to have no money whatsoever? I wonder if they had that temptation to settle. They faced a choice. Do we settle or do we serve? In fact, that is the daily choice every single Christian and every single person has. Do you settle or do you serve? Duncan Bannatyne, the, uh, the guy that runs all those gyms everywhere. It's all right, don't worry. <laughs> um, all those gyms, Bannatyne gyms, I think they're called. Might be called something else. I don't go to the gym. If you came last night, you'll know I don't go to the gym. Shocking. Um, anyway, and he runs a lot of gyms. He's on Dragon's Den. He's a Scottish guy. Um, and he wrote this. He had an experience of God. I think I've said this before. He says, one night, moved to tears, he found a quiet place to cry. Oh, there we are. Um, and discovered that he was not alone. He said this. 
I did what you do when you're emotional in that situation. You go off and you hide, he says. I realized that there was someone there and that it was God. The offhand way he says this, he's being interviewed, makes me wonder if I've misheard. He was surrounding me. He was in front of me, Duncan Ballantyne says. Literally in front of you? No, there was no face or hands and nails and feet, but I knew that he was there. I knew I was in the presence of God. It was a phenomenal experience. And he said to me, be a Christian. I thought about it and I said, no. I want to continue being selfish and doing my own thing. No, thank you. At least he was polite. Can you imagine settling for that when God says, be a Christian, follow me? That's exactly what uh, Andrew and Simon Peter faced. Settle or serve. They move in that moment as they get up and they follow Christ. They change, they grow. You see, they don't just move physically towards Jesus. They move spiritually. You see, when you serve Christ, you grow physically. Growth and service, I think, are linked hand in hand. As they move, they move from being hearers of good news to preachers of good news. They move from being simply believers in God and a coming Messiah to being um, disciples of that Messiah, to being receivers of God's grace and love, to doers, to people of action. You know, when we use our gifts, when we serve the King, our faith grows. One of my most wonderful privileges of being the minister of this church is I have the unique position of noticing when people begin to grow in their faith. Not all the time, obviously, but I've had the privilege of watching people do something they've never done before for Jesus Christ. They may be really leading a connect group or helping with something or just sharing their faith at work regularly. And I watch them change. They don't realize it, but I watch them change. And it is the highest joy. It really is. Because when you serve God, God grows. Your faith comes alive. Maybe this morning some of us just need to put down our nets and take up the call to serve Jesus Christ. In this church, yes, and in other ways as well. All those things we listed up earlier on, they all are teams of ministry in this church. All of them are led by someone. Their pictures are in the hall on the board. If you want to serve in any of them, find them or ask me and see where you best fit. But serve Jesus Christ, you will not regret it. One question I had as I looked at these verses this week is why is it that Jesus used the analogy of fishers of men with these two? Why didn't he use a farming analogy or a construction analogy? You know, why didn't he say, I'll make you builders of men? Or follow me, I'll make you harvesters of men? Was it simply that Simon and Andrew uh, were fishermen and it was just culturally relevant to them? I'm going to say yes and no. Because that phrase, fishers of men, I think captures the mission of the church very, very well. Think of the word fishers. It's actually from this part of the Bible that we get the ichthus sign. Um, you may have seen it. It's normally found on cars these days, a little fish. Uh, sometimes you see it with um, a couple of Greek letters. Yeah. And you see it on people's cars and stuff. There we are. Um, and that's the ichthus sign. It comes back because of this call to be fishers of men. And the early Christians used this symbol um, actually, for their own safety, they write it on doorways where they were holding secret meetings of worship, or they would put it on tombs where they knew a Christian had been buried because no one else knew what it stood for. And apparently, um, sometimes, if you, you know what it's like when you meet, you think you've met a Christian. Sometimes at work, you think you seem very nice. Are you a Christian? <laughs> it's terrible when they look back and go, "You don't seem very nice. Are you sure you're not an atheist or something?" But um, and you look and you think, 
what do you do on a Sunday? I don't know, what do you do on a Sunday? And it goes like that. And apparently what would happen is they, one, one of them would do that first top arc from the tail right to the mouth of the fish. They'd write that in the sand on the floor. And if the other person was a Christian, they'd fill in the other bit. I think that's brilliant. And then they'd be like, oh, okay. And then they'd talk about church and everything you do as a Christian. And those Greek symbols in the middle, those five Greek symbols stand for this. Jesus anointed God's son Saviour, I think that's brilliant. Anyway, um, so that's where the whole fishes of men um, comes from, and that's where we get the ichthus sign. And when you hear that uh, the phrase fishes of men, I don't know about you, my knowledge of fishing is pretty bad after uh, the age of Andy afterwards. Um, I'm pretty rubbish at fishing. But most people think of this, perhaps, uh, one guy and his solitary man with his fishing rod uh, along the bank of a river, just sort of catching one fish an hour or whatever it ends up being. Uh, but when Jesus uses this analogy, he's not thinking of that. He's thinking of a giant net. He's thinking of a massive net that catches all kinds of fish, all sorts of fish. Some not very well, some healthy, some small, some big, all types of species of fish. Making the point, I believe, that the gospel, the mission that we have, isn't for just one type. is isn't for him or her or that person. It's for anybody, anybody in the whole of the world. And in fact, if you were to flick over to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, you would see the net. Um, happening as 3,000 people become Christians after Pentecost. And you see in the beginning of chapter 2 of Acts how you have people from all over the world coming to hear the gospel. Um, Jesus says, I'll make you fishes of men in a different version. Um, I, I found this quite amusing. Obviously only three of you do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, got to throw it back, man. Um, we're fishes of men here. Um, I wasn't sure if that came across a bit. I don't know. Anyway, take it off. <laughs> but in Greek, when you often in the New Testament, when you see the word man, it actually means male and female. Like mankind, that kind of thing. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, go and get men. Men are the best. Quite the opposite. And there have been times when the church has mistakenly believed that men are somehow more important than women. And that's quite incorrect. And that's quite wrong. Um, so it's for all people, it's for men and women, but in fact that word for man in Greek also speaks of the body and the soul of a person. This mission that we have isn't just getting people into a building, it's not just a person as you see them, but it's their soul, we're saving people's souls from hell, from, uh, so they can be restored and go to heaven. Uh, and in fact, actually when Jesus died on the cross, he died to redeem us spiritually, but also physically. And so Christians ought to be concerned not just with the spiritual, but also the physical. We should be bothered by our planet. We should be bothered by social injustice. We should be bothered when people are knocked down buildings in our local area that have an adverse effect on our local area. That should bother us as Christians because the physical should bother us as much as the spiritual. And then you get the image of water. Why did Jesus use this image of water and fish? Was it just because they were fishermen? Yes and no. Actually, in the Bible... Bodies of water, sea, is always associated with chaos. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you would get that wonderful verse about in the beginning uh, how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And the imagery in Genesis 1 is that before God first speaks, everything is chaotic, everything is disordered, it's dark and it's broken. And God says, let there be light. And then wallop, here comes order, here comes goodness, here comes... What's the opposite of chaos? <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, you get my point. And so, water in the Bible is often associated with chaos. And I think when Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, I suspect one of the points he's making 
is actually, without me, people are leading chaotic lives. And you have to fish them out of it into a place where things are ordered and good. This week I sat at a local cafe um, writing my, or trying to write my sermon, I should say. And uh, for some reason this week it felt, it felt more difficult than other weeks. And I sat there and, uh, and I wonder if it was for this reason. I found myself watching everybody else. If you hear rumours of me, they're not true. Um, I'm just staring at people in the cafe like that. Um, but I just realised who I was looking at. I saw a woman who clearly had had cancer. All in the same cafe. I saw an older lady, clearly vulnerable, clearly a, a bit confused, not sure what was going on with her young carer. Um, not quite finding that conversation difficult. I saw a young mum with a young son who looked tired and frazzled. And there were two or three other people. And my heart just reminded me of that verse of Jesus where he describes the Jews as like sheep without a shepherd. I looked at them and I thought, they're like sheep without a shepherd, aren't they? Because they don't know what the point of it all is, where it's going. uh, And what happens when you die, all those big questions. They seemed lost in the chaos of life. Unsure what way was up, what way was down, what was right, what was wrong. Everything we do in this church is about pointing people in chaos to the light of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and the peace that he gives. Last night, um, Ian from Tough Talk spoke about having no peace, how he could never go to sleep. He slept with one hand on a knife because he could never be comfortable. He became a Christian. The first thing he did was fall asleep, he said, for the first time in years. How many people do you know who can't sleep? But we know Christ, we can relax in his presence because we know we've been forgiven and he loves us. So, today, do you live out your faith Do you serve your God? Do you serve your God in this church? Do we leave it to other people to serve in this church? God has put this church here to make a difference in Sawbridgeworth. So everybody needs, in my opinion, to serve God somehow in this church. Do you do that? Do you serve God at work by preaching the gospel in your families, by loving people? Are you a part of what God's doing wherever you might be? There are many opportunities. But a faith lived out is a faith that is growing. I want to end with a short video. How long was it? I can't remember. Um, a very short video before we have a, a little time of communion. Just about um, being in the church and being sent out. So we're just going to quickly watch this.